Welcome to the Center Point Pentecostal Church podcast. We hope that this podcast finds you well and that you are ready for a life-changing message from one of our outstanding and anointed ministers. If you like this podcast, please be sure to give us a follow and a five-star review on your favorite podcasting app. Now let's get to today's message. Hallelujah. We all been standing long enough. We'll go ahead and get right into the word. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at just one scripture to start us off. Proverbs 14 and 11. It's going to be there on the screens for anybody who doesn't have a Bible this morning. And that's okay. That's what they're for. But I'm going to read the New Living Translation version of this verse. Because I kind of, the point I'm trying to make kind of hits home more in this version. So Proverbs 14:11, the NLT version says, The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the godly will flourish. You ain't got to worry about nothing. I know that's generic and that's general, but I want to encourage somebody today that there is nothing to worry about under God's sight. You've got a heavenly Father that loves you. And you've got a heavenly father that's looking out for you. And though it may seem dark and gloom and doom, God is always looking out for us. When we look at that word flourish in our verse, in this context it means to sprout, which means that it grows with new life. I'm confident to say that with God there's always things that grow with new life. Seasons, mountaintop experiences, our walks with him, they're growing with new life. Normally one would consider a house more durable than a tent. But a house built on evil is far weaker than even a tent built on godly principles. I'll say that again. A house built on evil is way weaker. The house may be sturdy in your eyes. It may seem like an impenetrable fortress. But if it's not built under God's ordination, then it will fall. And even if you just have a tent and you just showed up to church and you just pitched it up and you just put it up and it may not look good, but you're giving everything you have for God. It's going to last a lot longer than those things that you're facing, those fortresses that you're fighting. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I've got more, but I'm going to go get right into it. I just want to speak on this subject today. Simply undeniable. Undeniable. If we could put our Bibles down and just lift up our hands before the Lord. and God, we're asking you to do what only you can do in this place. God, we're so thankful that you have allowed us to be together and to bind together. But God, I'm convinced that there's not one person that can't leave here today without an answered prayer. I'm convinced that there's not one person who's battling addiction, depression, oppression, anger issues, whatever it is, a broken heart, a broken family, God, that you can't mend things back together before they leave today. God, I'm asking you to let your spirit move in this place. I'm asking you for chains to break and for addictions to break and for those who are hurt to feel love and peace. God, your mercy and grace is new every day, Lord God. Have your way. In this service, let these words go forth into our hearts and let us respond how you want us to respond. Amen, amen. And if you believe in that, if you could just say, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. You may be seated.
As a kid, I remember growing up playing a very popular game by the name of Simon Says. How many of us have ever played Simon Says? A lot, right? Usually you play this game at a school or at a party or at just a hangout. And I remember several of us would do whatever Simon told us to do, right? As long as it was preceded by the phrase Simon Says. And to this day, I still have no idea who Simon is, who Simon was. But whoever he was, he must have been a pretty important person for people to listen to what he had to tell them to do. Right? It seems to me that in this day and age that we have become a society of Simon Says. Living life by the whims and desires of others. When you look at commercials and TV programs and music icons that continually tell us what to do, how to dress, what to drive, and even what to look like. Bordering on the dangerous, some men and women even go to the extreme and tell us to do treacherous things altogether. The biggest danger in this lifestyle of our lives in every detail. Such is the 21st century. We have become a nation of conformists, a nation of men and women who have become lazy that we're not willing to question when we feel like something is not what it needs to be. We allow complete strangers to think for us. I remember as a kid, which wasn't that long ago, but I can remember that it wasn't as easy as it was then to look up something on the internet. Internet and Google wasn't readily available as it is today, and even just 15 to 20 years ago, you still had to check out books from the library, and you had to read the information for yourself to understand what something was about. And nowadays, I'm afraid we very few read books. We get our knowledge from TV shows, books on audio, the internet, some which is good and necessary, but however in the important things of life, why do we allow others to make decisions for us and to tell us what to do? Do we not have a brain that God has given us and blessed us with? Can we not process information for ourselves? Do we really need the media and mainstream America to tell us how to live our lives and to tell us what is good and what is bad. Don't misunderstand me. I think there are times where I need to listen instead of questioning what is being said to me. That's what is called being submissive to my pastor and the leadership above me. Or as a kid, listening to your parents, even though that might be really, really hard. But I know that the person telling me to do something, when they're not benefiting me spiritually, or they have the best interest that God has placed in my life, then why am I listening to them blindlessly? And then sometimes we tell ourselves the best course of action we should take is because we think we know best. Because sometimes we're stubborn, right? I can remember being a teenager and having this late 90s, early 2000s Chevy Cavalier that my aunt had bought me for my birthday. I remember that it was smooth and I remember it being silver and I loved that car and it had this Batman frame on the front where you would put a license plate on it and I loved that sucker. It was old, it was small, but I loved that thing. That thing could fly, okay? Okay. Um, I remember one night, me and Jolie, back when she was still my girlfriend, we went on a double date with Brother David and Sister Kelly. And I remember that we had it all planned out. We were going to go to Buffalo Wild Wings. And then after that, we were going to go catch a movie. And I remember we ate at Buffalo Wild Wings in Alexandria. 
and we got done eating and we're running a little bit behind and we wanted to make sure we caught the movie just in time and it was like clockwork. I get in my vehicle with Jolie, David gets in his vehicle with Kelly. And this is back when, if you know Brother David, he had that big old white Ford truck, okay? And um, he goes and he goes to start it and we're getting ready to go, of course, and he, when he goes to start it, nothing. It died. It wouldn't move. Well, David looks at me and he says, well, we got to get to this movie. We can worry about this later, so let's just hop in your car. I said, well, come on. Let's get my little Chevy Cavalier. We get in. We're bunched up, but we get in. I go to turn. It works. Hallelujah. I go to shift into drive, ready to book it forward, and I go backwards. Reverse. Okay? So we've got one truck that can't even start. And we've got one car that will start but don't know which way to go, right? So, <laughs> so I said, okay, we've got to figure out something. So I put it back in park. It stops. I turn it off. And me and David are like, no, this is not cool. Like, we're on a date, right? Like, we're ready to impress. And both our vehicles just plop, okay? Well, I think with David's truck, it ended up being batteries or a spark plug or something like that. It was, oh, the ignition, the starter, he's telling me back there. But I had no idea what was wrong with mine. Like, what car, when you put it in drive, goes reverse, okay? So I called the only person at the time that I knew knew a lot more about vehicles than I did. I called Sister Jolie's dad, Brother Kemp. And so he swings by. He tells me to get into the car, start it, do what I did. I said, okay. And it does exactly what it does. It went backwards instead of forwards. So he said, okay, turn it off. We lift up the hood. We're looking. Everything looks fine. We can't figure this out. He said, do it again, but I'm going to look from the hood. So Pop still had the hood open. I do my thing. I click the engine. It comes on. I go into drive, and it goes in the reverse. And he screams, stop. Wait. I figured it out. I said, hallelujah. You figured it out. <laughs> love it. I love it when you call somebody and they know what you, you know. They got what you need. Hallelujah. So come to find out, long story short that there's a thing that connected the engine to the transmission. It was this little rubber piece. And what had happened over time is that it had degenerated. And so when you go to shift it and drive, it would unhook at reverse. And no matter what you did, it would always unhook at reverse. And so eventually, we found a way to hook it back and it worked for a little bit. Well, it wasn't the last. That's not all she wrote. It started doing it again. And so then I knew Okay, I got to go do the same thing Brother Kemp did. So let me put the e-brake on in the middle of the road while I'm driving. Let me put up the hood and let me do it. Eventually that went by and it kept happening. And I said, look, I'm not bringing this to the dealership. I'm not doing nothing because I'm going to spend a fortune. I got to figure out a way to fix this. And so eventually I called Brother Kemp again and he told me that try zip tie. And so that's what I did. I zip-tied that sucker. How many's ever been helped by a zip-tie, man? <laughs> zip-tied that thing. It never had another problem. It stuck every time I shifted it. Hallelujah. Until that car eventually died, and they got to find the zip-tie and the engine and all that stuff. So I'm happy for them nonetheless. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, I don't know what happened. David drove a Ford. I drove a Chevy. I mean... I always say stick with Dodge Ram. I now see why, right, um, for all of you car people out there. But anyways, 
Can I say, though, that if it wasn't for the knowledge and the understanding that was given to me about how to fix my problem, I would have had a way harder time trying to figure out how to fix it. If I didn't trust what was being told to me by somebody who knew a lot more than me, and that somebody who had experienced the things before, and somebody who had learned and studied mechanical work, I may have done things my way, and it would have costed me a lot more than I wanted. Church, I'm glad today that we have a manual, just like in vehicles, appliances, electronics, to help us navigate the problems that we face. I'm glad that we serve a God, and I'm glad that He has His Word that has answers to every problem that comes our way. What it does, my soul, to know that God sees the big picture in life. Yes, he concerns himself with details, but he's got the big picture figured out. And so no matter what you're going through, he knows how you're going to get to the end. You just have to trust him. He knows how it started. He knows how it's going to end. Hallelujah. Come on. Isaiah 46 says, declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God's counsel still stands. It does not waver. It does not fold. I'm reassured today that God still stands. He still makes a way. He's still doing things he did in the Bible that he's doing in 2023. He's still healing the blind, the sick, the lame, the He's still mending broken hearts and restoring families. He's still breaking addictions. He's not done. He's never going to be done until he calls church home. So the reason I can stand before you today with so much vigor and confidence is that what we read in the beginning, the house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. That along with all of God's word is a fact and that God's world will never fail. It will never fail. In a world filled with darkness, despair, and hopelessness, in a home filled sometimes with things that can tear and break down God's design for family, in a community that's riddled by loss, hurt, grief, and sorry, there's a word that will remain through heaven and earth. There are promises that will see their way through. And there is salvation that can save everyone under heaven and on earth regardless of what has been done. Hallelujah. In 2 Kings we find a story. We find the Aram king was at war with the land of Israel. He conferred with his officers about where he should set up his camp. The man of God, Elijah, told the king of Israel to beware passing down a certain place. He warned them that the Arameans will be passing this way. This made the king of Aram very angry, so he sent men to capture Elijah. When they awoke the next morning, they found that the city of Dothan was surrounded with chariots. Elijah prayed to God so that the enemies would be struck down with blindness. Thank God for answered prayers, amen. God strikes them with blindness. He then led them to Samaria. When they entered the land, the Lord gave them back their sight. Instead of killing them, Elijah instructed the king to prepare a feast for these men. After that, Aram stopped raiding the territory of Israel. The prophet was God's answer to providing for Israel 
and its people. I'm thankful that God's word is still providing for his people today. I'm thankful that whenever I don't know what to do, I can turn to his word. I'm thankful that when I don't know what to say, I can turn to the word. I'm thankful that when I don't remember the last time God has done something for me, I can look at thousands of stories to see what God has still done for the people. I'm so thankful that God is still speaking into our lives and moving into the lives of people. Amen. After some time, the king of Aram told his entire army to head to Samaria. There was a great famine in this land and the people turned to wicked ways. The king was so enraged by this that he wanted Elijah's head. He thought that the disaster was from the Lord and he did not want to wait on the Lord any longer. So in 2 Kings chapter 7, we find the reign of King Joram. And during his reign, a terrible time of famine had struck Samaria as the result of a siege of Samaria by the Arameans. Famines are never good. People suffer during famines. Times are hard during famines. Famines seep time of darkness and despair and hurt and pain. And sometimes famines turn the most faithful into the ones who have the most who are the faithless. May I encourage someone today that the famine that you are facing, a place of darkness and despair and of no hope is not the end for you. Yes, it is a place that you are in and a place that feels like death is all around. But the famine is not a place where you are destined to die in. You are not destined to die in your problem. You are not destined to die in your weakness. You are not destined to die in the valley of the shadow of death. You are destined to, yes, you got to go through it, but you're going to make it out. You're destined for far greater than what your situation and your environment is in. You are destined for more. Through the prophet Elijah, the Lord made a declaration and said, Hear ye the word of the Lord, thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Though the king of Israel blamed the Lord for the calamity that came upon Israel and Samaria, God still had a word for the king and the nation. And it was a good word. When God sends you a word, it's a good word. When God tells you something, it's good. It's not meant for evil. It's not meant for your demise. You may not like what he has to say, but he's got your best interest at heart. And so when he speaks in your life, when he does things in your life, or when he's having you hold on to a promise, it's a good thing. It's a great thing. It's not meant for your destruction, but it's meant for your uplifting and for your growth and for your upbringing. Amen. Amen. God's promise through Elijah was that in 24 hours the economic situation in Samaria would be completely reversed. That's what Elijah had said. Instead of scarcity there would be such abundance that food prices would radically drop in the city. By the standards of that time the prices listed were not cheap. They were expensive. The other day I went to um, Friday. Me, Sister Melissa, and Sister Reagan, we went to Canes because Reagan was trying out for Allstate. And if you've been to Canes lately, their prices are crazy. Okay. 
Like, look, don't judge me, but a Caniac combo, okay, is $17 with tax. And just a few years ago, it was like eight and a half bucks. Prices, okay, when I think of prices being outrageous back then, I think of stuff like that, okay. A Caniac combo being way more than it needs to be. But God said through Elijah that in 24 hours, all that was going to be back to normal. All that was going to be what you needed it to be. But the prices during the time of siege were not cheap. They were nothing, but they were nothing compared to the famine conditions associated with the siege. By the next day, conditions would so improve that good products would be available again, even though at a substantial price. Though the people had done wicked things, though the kings were evil, God still sent that prophet to declare that the famine was not their end and that within 24 hours, God would turn the situation completely on its head. With God, things look bad and wicked, but God is merciful enough, church, to show us that with Him and His godly ways, we would always flourish throughout the end. I know it looks bad. And I know sometimes when God is speaking into our lives, it's hard to believe. But God is going to have his way in the end. Amen. And whenever God steps in church, there always seems to be doubters. When God has done stuff in our life, there always seems to be somebody who's criticizing that no, God really didn't do something. Or no, that person is going to go back to what they used to be. Come on, somebody. Come on, I'll stand here and say today that I've heard those same things. That God is going to do something great for you and then you hear, nah, not really. You, they're just going to be like their dad. They're just going to be like their grandpa. They're just going to be like everybody else that they hang out with. But I'm here to tell that devil is a liar. That God has, when he... That when God does something for you in your life... When God says that you are chosen, you are a royal priesthood. That not even devil himself can lie and take that away from you if you don't allow him. God's word is final. Don't believe the doubters. I can't stand haters. That's not the word you use, but that's the word I'll use. I can't stand them. I need people in my corner that's going to lift me up. I need people in my corner that's going to shout with me in the aisles. I need people in my corner that when they pray for me, it's uplifting. That they love me. That they need me. I'm not interested in people that are Debbie Downers, negative Nancy's, and haters. I need positivity. I need people looking out for me. There will be doubters. That's not, that's, that's going to happen. Second king said, then a Lord, this is right after Elijah spoke his prophecy, then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, behold, thou shalt see it with thy eyes, but shall not eat thereof. The king's officer doubted the prophecy. 
and his doubt was one we find ourselves asking sometimes. He doubted the power of God. If God willed it, he certainly could make windows in heaven and drop down food from the sky for the hungry, besieged city of Samaria. The officer doubted the creativity of God. In the mind of the king's officer, the way food could come to the city was from above because the city was surrounded by a hostile, besieging army. He had no idea that God would bring his provision in a completely unexpected way. The officer doubted the messenger of God. Though the promise was admittedly hard to believe, the king's officer could have and should have believed it because it came from a man with an established track record of reliability. All in all, the officer tells us the conduct of unbelief. Unbelief dares to question the truthfulness of God's promise itself. Unbelief says this is a new thing and cannot be true. Unbelief says this is a sudden thing and cannot be true. Unbelief says there is no way to accomplish this thing. Unbelief says there is only one way God can work. Unbelief says even if God does something, it still won't be enough. Whenever God does something in your life, it is more than enough. Whenever God does, don't ever doubt the power that God has. Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. He has power in his right hand and he is a just God. He is our Lord and our Savior. He deserves all the respect that we give him. Amen. Through Elijah, God had pronounced a harsh judgment upon the king's doubting officer. He would see the word fulfilled but he would never benefit from its fulfillment. I would be so devastated to never be benefited from God's fulfillment. Look, there are days where, yes, I may have a little doubt, but I know God is working for me. I don't want to ever miss out on what God does in my life, on our church family's life, on my family's life. I may not understand what happens, but I'm going to see it through. God, I'm going to trust you. You are going to bring a backslider home. God, I'm going to trust you. You are going to help my siblings financially. And you're going to help them overcome addiction. God, I'm going to trust you that you may have not done it the way you did it for me, but you're going to do it for them. And they're still going to have the same Holy Ghost living inside of them as it lives inside of me. I may, I can't doubt. I've got so much to hold fast for. I can't lose hope. Hallelujah. Don't pay attention to the war that's around you. Don't pay attention to the naysayers, the thieves, the liars, the ones who deceit you and look down on you. But pay attention to what the word of the Lord says. Pay attention to, and we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. Pay attention to, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as ye also do. Pay attention to, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount 
up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Pay attention to that elder that speaks into your life and tells you that I've been through what you've been through. And here's how I overcame it. Pay attention to a pastor that loves you so much that he spends hours upon hours in fasting and prayer for you and I. Pay attention to your parents who look out for the best interest of you. Pay attention for the people that God has placed in your life to help get through. Don't pay attention to the people at school, the people at work that have nothing, nothing for you. Pay attention to God. But we do have such a hard time letting God figure out the solution for us. Trying to figure out the solution to our problems is not man's job alone. If God declares something, it is certain to pass. When God says it is done, it will be done, it will happen. A key attribute to this famine that Samaria was in was that all of this began with the siege that was led by Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. Anytime there was a siege in this time, a major tactic of siege warfare was to starve the residents of a city, forcing them to surrender. No food, no source of energy, no way out. It seems that sometimes when the enemy attacks, it does more than just a direct onslaught. There's other things that happen. We hear it all the time when we say, when it rains, it pours. Second Kings chapter 6 says, And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of doves dung for five pieces of silver. I don't know about y'all, but I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to pay anything for a dove's dung. Okay? Sure, they used it to grow crops, but I mean, there was a famine, so what you paying? What you paying that for? But talk about being in a very bad place. I mean, these people were never meant to experience this. God never wanted them to go through this. Since neither the Israelites nor the Syrians were changed by the demonstration of God's power, war eventually found its way to them. Ideally, the circumstances of God's people should never have reached to a sorry state. The biblical plan was that a righteous king would defeat the enemies and save his people from such misery. This was so bad for them that ceremonially unclean and detestable substances were being sold for way too high prices. Church, when you are out of God's biblical plan of life, then wicked things set in and things happen that aren't naturally supposed to happen. I'm not going to get into the details, but this world is turning into a wicked place. We see it all around us. We see things that happen because they're not in the biblical plan of God. Look, I'm not here to rain doom and gloom. When you're with God and you're under his plan and you're under his anointing and you're under his way, anything is possible. But if that is true, then getting out of it, the opposite must be true. Amen. This plan that they were supposed to be in was for a king to be responsible to provide for his people's needs. Time and time again, it's undeniable that when you and I follow the correct course that God has laid out, even when we do wrong and have our doubts, as long as we continue to get back on course, then our king will provide the needs that are meant for us. 
the wicked world, if we're not on the correct course, they will provide unclean and unsubstantial needs that we think we need. But when we stay under God's plan and what He has for you, He's going to provide you what you need. Don't think the world out there has what you need to overcome things. They may tell you everything that sounds sweet in your ear. They may tell you to do this and do that. But if God didn't tell you to do it, don't listen. If God didn't tell you to do it, don't do it. Look, the parties might seem bumping. The clubs might seem cool. The bars might seem all fine and dandy. But if God is telling you, don't go to those places, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Amen. Hallelujah. Is this helping anybody this morning? Amen. Amen. I'm almost done. I'm wrapping up. But everything happens in God's time, church. Everything happens in God's time. When we look back at Elijah's declaration, we find that the prices were guaranteed to drop by the following day and food would be plentiful because the Lord had said so. It is not man's job to figure out how it will happen but to wait expectantly on the one whose words are certain to come to pass. Through the impossible, God looks at it and says, with me, I'm possible. Someone said it like this, God, any rivers you think are impossible? God, any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things impossible, and he can do what no other God can do. I'm glad our God is better than any other God out there. He's the only God. He's the one true God, amen? It is the impossible that provides the media for a miracle. It is the times when we don't know which door to walk through, which direction to go, and which way to walk that God steps in to remind us that He is the first and the last. That He is the author and the finisher of my faith. That He is the fairest of 10,000. He is the bright and morning star, the lily of the valley, the altogether lovely one, and the desire and the rock of all ages. I'm so glad he's my rock of all ages. Not just when I'm a kid, not just when I'm a teenager of all ages. Not just in the Bible, but in 2023. Not just when I'm on the mountain or I'm in the valley. He's a rock that I can stand on, that I firmly stand on. Amen. It's easy for us to look at it now and see what happens down the road of the stories, like what we spoke about in 2 Kings, to see how it pans out. And it's easy for us to think, If that was us, it would be a different story. But you can't tell me there hasn't been a time where we were too like the servant on whose arm the king had leaned and questioned the words of the prophet like we spoke about earlier. I'm sure the servant of the king was using his past experiences and knowledge of what it's like living in the area and serving that king that he was skeptical of what was happening. He factored in so many things that could play a part in the outcome of this scenario. But his worldview was missing one key factor, and that was the God factor. No matter the doctor's report, no matter the financial hardship, no matter the stress and distress of being alone, no matter the gravity of the situation, let us never forget the God factor. I must realize that in God's time, things happen how and when they need to happen. That if I rely on my time and my talents and my efforts, I will fail And people will fail. But what is impossible with men, church, is possible with God. To everybody, what is impossible with men is possible with God. 
A prophetic utterance had flowed through the lips of Elijah. God had spoken through the prophet Elijah to tell people what God the Savior was doing to save his people. But how it would come to pass was entirely up to the Lord. And lots of times when God has his way, it's not the normal way of how we think it should be done. When we do things, it's natural. But when God answers, heals, performs miracles, when things work out the way God wants it to, it's always supernatural. No one could have predicted what would have happened for their answer. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. Why is this so important to the promise that God had given through Elijah? The lepers say, if we enter into the city, the famine is there and we will die. They said, if we sit here, we're going to die. Now let us go into where the Arameans are and if we survive, then we will live. These men stayed at the entrance of the gate because they were not welcomed in the city. Their condition made them outcasts and untouchables. But their logic was perfect. They would soon die from the famine if they stayed by the city. If any food became available, they would certainly be the last to receive it. So they decided that their chances were better if they surrendered to the Syrians. I'm getting somewhere, church. Y'all hang on. How many times do we feel, though, that in the midst of our situations, in the midst of our options, that we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And the only way out is to either surrender or be defeated. But I'm telling you today that with God, there is always another option. If you're going to surrender, surrender into the heavenly arms of Jesus. Hallelujah. If you're going to surrender, give it all to God and watch Him just do what you couldn't imagine with your own mind that He can do. Amen. The Bible says that these lepers had rose up in the twilight and went to that camp. The camp where they said that if they were spared, they would live. But if they are killed, then they will die. Elijah, here's the bigger picture. Elijah prophesied to a land filled with famine that God will provide food within a day's time. People are doubtful and worried. Then later that day, lepers come and say that if we stay here, we will die. But if we head to the camp because we would rather be surrendered unto them. And if they kill us, then we all die. But if they spell us, we will live. The Bible says that when they came to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For days upon days... The city of Samaria was surrounded by siege and army and famine had hit the land and it seemed like the impossible was starting to set in. This huge army surrounded the city of Samaria for many months and the camp was home and the supply center for thousands of men. And the leper said, when we get there, if they kill us, we will die. But if they spare us, we will live. And when the lepers got there, there wasn't a single person in that camp. 
All there was left was supplies for them to get through the famine. I'm telling somebody today, you don't know when God is going to step on the scene. You don't know when God is going to perform that miracle. But hold on when God does. Because when he does, you can look back and say, yes, everything looked bad. Yes, everything was dark for the longest time. But God provided a light and an answer. I'm closing. Everybody can stand. The musicians can come. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that it changes and impacts your life for days to come. If you would like to connect with us further, give us a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash Centerpoint Pentecostal Church or just search Centerpoint Pentecostal Church on Facebook. If you would like to join one of our services in person, The service times and address are in the podcast description. Thank you and God bless, and we hope to see you on the next episode.